Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everyone, to the On Poly Podcast. I'm Steve Pakin. And I'm John Michael McGrath. We're on every weekday during this 43rd Ontario election campaign. Today on the pod, the Green Party reveals its fully costed program. The Liberals and New Democrats both pitch billions of dollars for mental health programs, while the Liberals exercise damage control over a third candidate they need to drop. More developments on the Tory MPP salary top-up story. It's Thursday, May 12, 2022. That's day nine of the campaign, so let's get to it. John Michael, this is the third day in a row that the Liberals have had to drop a candidate. First, in Sault Ste. Marie, the Liberals dropped their candidate for what they called inappropriate comments on an online gaming forum. Then the Perry Sound Muskoka candidate was dropped after some bizarre revelations came forward about a book he wrote on rebreathing, which he said was the explanation why some babies become gay. Don't ask. Today, another one, Chatham-Kent-Leamington candidate Alec Mazurek. The NDP uncovered some very problematic posts on his Facebook page using the F word, which is a slur for gay people. In another post, he says, one good bitch is worth a thousand bad bitches. Uh, You and I just yesterday were talking uh, about the digital footprint that this younger generation tends to leave behind. I guess the bigger question is, what does this say about the Liberals' candidate vetting process? Because if the NDP found this stuff so easily, it's hard to understand why the Liberals couldn't. So uh, let's start off by, I think, acknowledging, uh, maybe in a charitable mood, uh, that the Liberals had the the toughest candidate search job. Uh, Well, I I suppose it depends on how one counts the Greens. Uh, But the the Liberals had only seven sitting MPPs in the last election. Uh, Some of those, of course, are not running for re-election. So they had, you know, more than 100 candidates uh, to to find. They had to fill uh, more seats for an election than I I think they've ever had to. Uh, You know, Stephen Del Duca was asked about this on the the hustings this morning. Totally, uh, you know, surprised by it. Didn't know uh, about these uh, uh, comments uh, beforehand. Uh, here is how he responded. I think it's really important for leaders to take decisive action uh, when candidates, uh, when when candidate behavior that is irresponsible, that is reckless, that is uh, not what we stand for, is dealt with in the most decisive way possible. So I will take a look immediately following this event. And if that is the case, then he, that, that individual will no longer be a candidate for us. So uh, to Del Duca's credit, uh, totally unequivocal about uh, dropping the candidate if the allegations turned out to be true. And uh, indeed, shortly after the event ended, uh, the Liberals did make it official. And uh, that person is now a former candidate for the party. Now, you said you were going to be in a charitable mood about all this. So maybe that leaves me some room to be uncharitable about this, because I'm going to introduce the political reality angle into this, which is... Yes, the Liberals for the third day in a row have lost a third candidate, but those candidates uh, were attempting to become elected in the ridings of Sault Ste. Marie, Perry Sound Muskoka, and Chatham-Kent-Leamington. And those, at the moment, look like very safe conservative ridings that they would hold. So, um, you know, admittedly, I'm into the realm of speculation here, but shall we speculate that Mr. Del Duca can afford to be very tough on ethics when he knew that those candidates pretty much had no chance to win those seats anyway? Uh, You know, I think that's 
probably fair. And and I think the the flip side is also true that it is it's always hard to get people to you know enter elected politics. Uh, particularly, you know, in uh, this campaign where the liberals uh, are, you know, still the third party and, uh, uh, you know, are are having a hard time convincing people to, you know, give up a substantial chunk of their life to do this thing. Um, And it's even harder to get them, uh, get people to uh, sign up for this kind of a job when uh, these are seats that, the the party just doesn't realistically have a chance of uh uh winning uh once upon a time you know not that long ago Sault Ste. Marie was held by the liberals for a long stretch so you know it's a, a bit of a reversal of fortune there but uh you know it, it is both easy for them to sacrifice these seats and also the the explanation for why it's hard for them to to attract the caliber of candidate they might otherwise prefer Mm-hmm. Now, I asked Andrea Horvath about this at her news conference today, which was in Paris, Ontario, and it seems that, um, well, most of these online scandals seem to be happening, admittedly, not the one in Paris, Sound, Muskoka, but many of the others are among millennials, uh, whose bad behavior harkens back to their youth. They do something dumb online, uh, you know, they say something flippant or stupid, and uh, surprise, surprise, it comes back to haunt them 5, 10, 15 years later. Um, you know, I asked Ms. Horvath whether this so-called digital footprint problem is something we're just all going to have to get used to going forward. There's no doubt that the social media environment is uh, is part of who we are and what we do, uh, and I, I think it'll evolve over time. Uh, but certainly, people need to be thoughtful, absolutely, about uh, about what they say and what they do on social media. It's not private; it's public, as you know. Uh, and uh, I, I think this will this will evolve over time. You know, only yesterday uh, we were in the middle of talking about how the Greens had a a full slate of candidates, uh, only to have to break into the middle of our own recording uh, that they uh, had lost a candidate in Davenport. Uh, She was uh, stepping aside over uh, the uh, Green Party's uh, stance on anti-Semitism. And uh, Green Party leader Mike Schreiner actually addressed that issue uh, today at his party's platform launch. And if there is a candidate running for us, that doesn't agree with my strong stance against anti-Semitism, then we will politely and respectfully part ways. You know, Steve, I I spoke with a new Democrat uh, before the writ period started who said that one of the differences for their party between uh, 2018 and 2022 was the resources they were able to put towards vetting candidates. Uh, We can recall, of course, that the NDP had some of these similar issues uh, of their own in 2018. And in this cycle, you know, the liberals are on uh, tighter budgets overall. uh, And it, it might be that they are simply not able to put the energy towards candidate vetting that they'd like to, um, but that that case of the Perry Sound Muskoka one is is a bit of a <laughs> a wrinkle or a flaw in my theory here because <laughs> that seems to be a case where they might have actually just not Googled the guy's name. It's it's a very strange one. <laughs> one fast Google search would have unearthed that one. Yeah, that one is hard to understand. Well, uh, let's acknowledge, uh, let's give kudos where it's due. The NDP research team has done a really good job unearthing a lot of this stuff. And uh, one of the things that they've also unearthed uh, has to do with the Progressive Conservative Party because their candidates have not been without their challenges as well. The NDP has apparently discovered that it's now seven former Conservative MPPs who have accepted more than $120,000 from their riding associations over the past four years. JMM, can we have some of the blow-by-blow of what uh, Waterloo NDP candidate Catherine Fife calls 
candidates using their constituency associations as personal ATMs. Right. So we had already heard about uh, Lisa McLeod, uh, who uh, received $44,000 from her writing association, uh, as well as Khalid Rashid, who received $23,000. Today, the NDP added to their number uh, Greg Rickford, uh, who received $18,000, including nearly $9,000 in a car allowance. Uh, Rudy Cazetto, who received $10,000. Amy Fee, who is not running again, received $10,000. Vincent Kay received received $7,300, and Andrea Kanjin received $6,500. Former NDP MPP Taras Natashak was uh, also speaking with uh, Catherine Fife today, and here's what he had to say about all this. And and it speaks to their, uh, you know, just their inability uh, to to manage public dollars. How is it possible uh, that they were so inept at managing uh, their, their budgets that they needed to dip into, uh, you know, the, the the coffers of their riding associations. We've said this an, a, a few times, and I will just reiterate because I think it's important to say uh, there is nothing illegal about all of this. Uh, but having said that, you know, people didn't know about it. And they didn't know about it until the NDP uh, raised this to prominence. Uh, They don't necessarily know that, you know, when they donate to a political campaign or a riding association, uh, that thousands of those dollars are not going towards salaries for office workers, campaign signs, uh, office rentals, etc. It's going into MPP's pockets. This is where I put my old-timers hat on and say, John Michael, my friend, there is nothing new under the sun. This has been going on for decades and decades. Uh, You and I were talking the other day about the fact that the former Conservative Party leader federally, Andrew Scheer, had worked out a private arrangement with his own party to have the party pay for his children's private school education. Uh, Once he got that job, okay, that was something that obviously the party was okay with, Mr. Scheer was okay with, but the members of the party didn't know about it. And when when they wanted Scheer out, they leaked that information. Some people in the party leaked it in order to further embarrass him and force him out. I remember decades ago, a former leader of the Nova Scotia Liberals, who was forced to resign when it also emerged, unbeknownst to the party and to or some in the party, I guess, and some uh, Nova Scotians, that the party was topping up his income, thanks to party donors. And we can go back even further to the middle 1970s, when the father of the current Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Canada was getting into politics. He was a man by the name of Claude Wagner, and it emerged in the middle of his bid for the 1976 PC leadership, running against Joe Clark and Brian Mulroney, that he had accepted what was considered a secret allowance from PC party backers to run for the party. He was a star candidate, a big catch, and Tory backers wanted to help him with the financial adjustment of taking a massive pay cut to enter public life. And when that information somehow got leaked, it was damaging to his campaign. Joe Clark subsequently won that 1976 leadership campaign became Prime Minister three years later. Wagner was actually favored to win that campaign. He was in first place on a couple of ballots. So once again, nothing new under the sun about all this. Now, Doug Ford was asked about this on the Hustings today, and he had this to say. Well, I'll be pretty frank. Uh, I wasn't too happy when I when I found out about this. Uh, being, uh, I want to emphasize this, uh, being assured that all rules were followed. Uh, the, expen- uh, the expenses are independently audited. Uh, they're reviewed and approved by Elections Canada, which they were all approved by Elections Canada. With that being said, uh, yes, you know something, uh, on, on June the 2nd, I want to sit down with uh, all the parties. I want to take a good hard look at these rules and, and tighten them up. 
you know, uh, Doug Ford has a knack of being able to respond to a scandal by saying, you know, oh, dear, you know, I, I'm as mortified by this as you are. Reelect <laughs> me and I'll fix this. Uh, even though, of course, it is uh, Doug Ford's team that's at the heart of this scandal. And uh, uh, I think there's a fair question to ask about, you know, when did he in fact learn about this? And if he is just learning at it, about it at the same time as the rest of us are, I mean, it's his party, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, nevertheless, uh, that is his response. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it is it is a talent. <laughs> well, there's an old expression in politics, and that is you do whatever you can to save the silverware. And the silverware in this case is the premier. And if er- anybody else has to take the fall for something to make sure that nothing touches the premier, then that's what you do. And, and you know, let's remember a couple of years ago when um, uh, Rod Phillips uh, went to St. Bart's for that trip, he told the premier's office he was going down there, and they knew. And when the premier found out about it, he played the same routine of, oh, I'm mortified to find this out. I had no idea this was happening. His office knew. So somehow, once again, you know, he was able to get before the cameras and say, oh, my gosh, I had no idea this was happening. I'm as mortified as you are, and let's clean this all up. Uh, yeah, he's got to hand it to him. He's got a talent for being able to skate through a lot of this stuff. Now, let's get back to policy. The Greens revealed their fully costed program today. It is very much akin to a budget, so lots of numbers, lots of programs, and lots of different ways for the Greens to pay for those programs. We're obviously not going to be able to cover every line in the Green budget here, but suffice to say, JMM, he's got six priorities, does Mike Schreiner, that he wants to share with the people. Uh, right. So the first is uh, homes, not highways, what the, the Greens are, are billing as their housing plan. Uh, they want to build uh, much more housing in Ontario. Uh, like the other parties, they've endorsed the 1.5 million new homes target. Um, at, at the risk of editorializing, I would say I think the Greens have the most uh, substantive uh, policy proposals to actually get to that target. Um, but of course, uh, the, the other part of homes, not highways, is that they don't want to build either uh, Highway 413 or the Bradford Bypass uh, that uh, the PCs uh, have proposed and uh, other parties have different uh, opinions on. Uh, Probably uh, the other major uh, new thing uh, we talked about today with the Greens is uh, mental health is health. Uh, The party had already uh, proposed a very substantive uh, mental health policy, uh, and they they fleshed that out in their platform launch uh, with uh, a a really substantial emphasis on, uh, I think, what you could broadly call the, the, the caring economy, uh, lots of new money commitment there. Uh, the new climate economy, again, no surprise that the Green Party is going to have a very uh, robust climate uh, section in their platform. Uh, the you know some of these measures that they've talked about before about you know making it. Uh, cheaper for people to buy uh, electric cars, cheaper and easier to uh, retrofit their homes to be more uh, energy efficient, uh, you know, uh, hiring uh, more workers and training more workers in the building trades so that we can uh, have more green jobs in Ontario. Uh, respect for people and workers, uh, reinvest in health and education. Uh, these are, uh, you know, a, a, a variety of measures to, you know, uh, boost worker supports and uh, increase spending in, uh, you know, healthcare and education, obviously. Um, and then protect nature. Again, I don't think terribly surprising that uh, the Green Party has, uh, you know, substantive policies to try and protect green spaces in Ontario. I mean, they want to double the size of the Green Belt is probably uh, the, the the biggest uh, headline-grabbing item that they have, uh, but of course, you know, it also touches other areas that we've already talked about. You know, they they want to build lots of new homes, but they don't want any of that to be on uh, farms or wetland. Uh, they want to freeze urban growth boundaries uh, where they are in Ontario and and 
you know, intensify, intensify, intensify. So, uh, you know, a very, very substantial document. Um, you know, some of the other measures in here that would uh, differ from uh, the, the uh, government and from other political parties, uh, they want to uh, both double ODSP rates and double uh, the Ontario works rates uh, and have uh, future increases at the rate of inflation. Uh, this actually makes the Greens the only party proposing to increase ODSP rates to above where they were in 1995 after inflation, uh, something economist and friend of the podcast Mike Moffat has pointed out on Twitter. Uh, the Greens would pay for this at and other measures by increasing taxes on the top 10% of income earners in the province. Uh, they want to reverse what they call the short-sighted uh, license uh, sticker rebate that the Tories brought in uh, shortly before the election started. That measure cost the government a billion dollars a year, so the Greens would effectively start collecting that billion dollars a year again. Uh, they are banking on saving $900 million in highway spending that wouldn't be spent this year. They want to cap class sizes at 26 for kindergarten and 24 for elementary schools. Uh, they want to increase early childhood educator salaries to $25 an hour, increase mental health spending to 10% of the health ministry budget. Uh, that would be a very, very substantial sum since the health ministry is the single largest ministry uh, in the government budget. Uh, you know, Schreiner also reiterated his opposition to the electricity subsidies that the province pays to the tune of nearly $7 billion, as we have discussed in this podcast before. Uh, most of those uh, subsidies are not really pegged to income in any sense, so they actually benefit uh, the highest consuming and, and wealthiest hydro users in the province. Uh, the platform is costed for the four years of the likely next mandate of the uh, legislature and not beyond that. So there's no uh, certain date to balance the budget, no commitment to balance the budget by a specific date from the Green Party. Uh, and they are, in fact, proposing uh, larger deficits than were projected in the 2022 budget. Uh, Mike Schreiner saying that uh, now is not the time for austerity in Ontario. There you go. That's a very good recitation of much of what the Greens have on offer. Now, the New Democrats, as we suggested earlier, were in Paris, Ontario today. Andrea Horvath, the leader, joined by Harvey Bischoff, who is a former head of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation. He's also the NDP's candidate for Brantford Brant, and they wanted to announce some details of their universal mental health care plan. Right. Uh, Andrew Horvath proposing to make uh, free counseling or therapy, uh, rather free in the sense covered by OHIP. Uh, they want to create an umbrella organization called Mental Health Ontario, uh, providing a 30-day guarantee that young people will receive mental health service. Uh, they want to fund primary care doctors, nurses, psychologists, psychotherapists, and social workers to be trained in cognitive behavioral th therapy. Uh, and they want to invest $10 million more in mobile crisis services and $7 million more for safe bed programs to support uh, those mobile crisis teams. And coincidentally, Stephen Del Duca, the Liberal leader, was also on the mental health uh, announcement front today. Uh, tell us some of the highlights of his announcement. The Liberals would be proposing to spend $3 billion over four years to train 3,000 new frontline mental health workers to help clear wait lists. Uh, they would focus 1,000 of those uh, workers uh, on at-risk youth, uh, and uh, they would uh, ha make sure that e emergency rooms and 911 services have uh, mental health staffers available. 
And Doug Ford, the leader of the PC party, was in Kitchener today pledging to widen Highway 7 to reduce congestion between Kitchener and Guelph. Have you noticed that they've really got the backdrops of those announcements down pat now, right? It's usually (laughs) Doug Ford in an empty, muddy field with a bunch of hard hats behind him and maybe a a bulldozer or a tractor or something like that as well. And, And what does that evoke when you look at that shot? Uh, it certainly seems to me like the Tories uh, have their their theme of building, 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 building. You know, I, I I almost think that you know you could find some esoteric theme, like something that has nothing to do with you know construction, and they would find some way to put a bulldozer in the shot just to make sure that they covered their bases. <laughs> Okay, just before we sign off here, it's my turn to do a mea culpa today. And you know, it's so funny, John Michael. I was sitting down when I was writing the part of the script having to deal with um, Northern Ontario and the seats in Northern Ontario just setting up the Northern leaders debate the other day. And I I was counting out, okay, this one's a Tory, this one's a Tory, this one's a New Democrat. Okay, and they added up to 11. And I remember saying to myself, 11? I thought there were 12 seats in Northern Ontario, but I don't know. I can only find 11 here. So, okay, maybe maybe it is 11, but I always thought it was 12. Well, sure enough, I was wrong. I mean, let me rephrase. Sure enough, I was right that I was wrong. It is 12. <laughs> and thanks to Chris Chapin, uh, who put this out on Twitter. He said, in this podcast, Steve Pakin incorrectly suggests the PCs have only two seats in Northern Ontario. I think Ross Romano, Victor Fideli, and Greg Rickford would disagree. And indeed, Chris, you are right. Um, We have already established on this podcast that math is not always my strongest suit. There are, indeed, 12 seats in Northern Ontario. I'm not sure how I missed that 12th when I was going through the chart. So let's get it right this time. In the last legislature, there were eight new Democrats, three progressive conservatives, and one liberal north of the French River. I am happy to correct the record, and I thank Chris Chapin for that tweet pointing out my mistake. And this is before we even get into the controversy about whether Perry Sound Muskoka counts as Northern Ontario or not. <laughs> oh, now my head is going to explode. We all know that Perry Sound Muskoka is not Northern Ontario, but we also know that when former Premier Ernie Eves represented that riding, he wanted his riding to have access to Northern Ontario benefits, and so he had them draw a little squiggly line underneath his riding <laughs> to include Perry Sound Muskoka in the north. That's why, in terms of benefit plans, Perry Sound Muskoka is included in the north, but John Michael, look at a map. It's not in the north. Come on now. It's not in the north. Anything that's that close to Toronto, that is that reasonable a drive from Toronto, at least on a good day, is probably not northern Ontario. You are correct, (laughs) sir. You are correct. Okay, that is the On Poly podcast for day nine. A reminder, we're here every weekday during this 43rd general election campaign right through to election day, June the 2nd. JMM, we'll see you on the hustings. See you tomorrow, Steve. 